Welcome to Real Everyday People, an Eladio Nino podcast. You either die the hero or see yourself become the villain. See too many dark nights and light the way you're living. They got me living. The plot hey, what's is up, everybody? The it's the El Nino podcast. Like I'm Eladio Nino, and this is Real Everyday People. So uh, before I get started, um, it's 9-11, so, you know, I want to pay my respects for, you know, all of those who lost their lives, um, you know, September 11th, uh, 2001, and, um, you know, my heart goes out to their families, and, uh, you know, that was a, a, a day of tragedy in our country, and, um, you know, we still want to be able to, uh, you know, move on and, um, you know, with, with these people in our hearts, you know. Um, so I didn't have an episode last week cause it was labor day and I'm like, you know what, man, I need a break. I want to chill with the fam and do what I do. And I did. I hope everybody had a safe uh, labor day weekend. Um, I took time to just chill, relax, do what I wanted to do. Didn't have to do anything I had to do. You know what I'm saying? So that felt good. Um, got a lot of good things going on. Um, plenty of events, you know, shout out to, uh, to the Detroit Health Department. They just recently had a resource fair. And, um, you know, a lot of these uh, uh, fairs and events that they're having around the city are really good to attend because they have so much good information for you, you know. Um, so I do my best to try to promote uh, September 20th. We got the expungement fair coming up at the DHDC 1211 Trumbull. Come on up, man. Shoot your shot. You know what I'm saying? You might have, you know, a felony on your record or something on your record that's holding you up from housing or, you know, that new promotion at the job that you want or even just getting into the door at a job that you want, you know, um, we're going to, uh, you know, take care of everything. It's going to be all for free. We're even going to flip the tab. We partner with Chase Bank, and uh, we're going to flip the tab for the $50 fee to be able to uh, submit your paperwork to the court. So, you know, take advantage of that. But um, today, man, we got a guest on here, man, good friend of mine. And, um, you know, he's got a hell of a story. You know, he's been there and everywhere, up and down. And uh, I'm really looking forward to uh, you guys hearing this story, man. Without any further ado, it's my man Sincere out to late. What's up with you, bro? What's up, now? My guy, man. Much love to you, man. I appreciate you coming through, man. Appreciate you having me. Yeah, no doubt about it, man. So let the people know who you are, what it is, and what it ain't, bro. Um, Sincere Al Tale. Um, I guess it's a you ask, I answer. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> this is a, you hey, know, hey. I've been waiting to have this conversation for a long time. You know, we've been chopping it up for a couple of years, so it's definitely going to be interesting. Oh, yeah, no doubt about it, man. I just, you know, when people come on here, I wanted this platform so that, you know, when people come on here, bro, they are front and center. You know what I'm saying? The whole concept of this was to be able to document stories of people from urban communities to be able to share their stories. You know what I'm saying? The good, the bad, the ugly, you know, uh, you know, where they where they where they been, where they at and where they headed. And, uh, you know, and in the couple of years that I've known you, um, you, you have a great story, bro. You've been a little bit of everywhere. You've got a lot of, you know, great experiences, you know, a lot of, you know, endured a lot of suffering as well. But, you know, um, we ain't no stranger to danger, bro. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Um, so what part of the neighborhood do you come from? Um, I'm from from Mac and Bewick. So my whole childhood was basically spent between um, the Mac and Bewick, Mac and Chalmers, East Grand Boulevard and Ferry area. Um, okay. You know, Mac and East Grand <clears throat> Boulevard cross. So, you know, you know, born at my grandmother's house, but leaving there and going to the boulevard, it was literally maybe a 25-minute walk 
Okay. So even when my mom's was uprooted and left, you know, we were still in the same neighborhood. So um, basically around the Black Bottom area. Okay. Yeah. All right. So um, were you raised with both your parents and did you have siblings? Um, you know, both, you know, my, my mother and father were both instrumental in my life. Okay. Um, they weren't married, but, you know, they had the <clears> off and on, you know, relationship, you know, for as long as I can remember. I still have relationships with both of my parents to this day. They're both still alive. And um, I have a number of siblings. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, last count, 14. Whew, that's so a football team. We had, we had a blended family. Okay. You know, we had a blended family. But, you know, of course, my mother had children. My father had children. My mother married um, when so I was young. They was like the black version of the um, Brady Bunch. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and like still to this day, like when people ask me personally, you know, um, you know how many brothers and sisters you have, and I give them a number. And when people ask me, you know, did your mother have all those kids? I kind of hate that question. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, you know, my brothers and sisters are my brothers and sisters. So, you know, we, oh yeah, absolutely. You know, we came up together. So, um, to me, they're my brothers and sisters. You know, it is what it is. Yeah. So, yeah. what was that like growing up in a household of, with, you know, with or, or just having, you know, 14 siblings in general? You know what I mean? Well, to be honest. It was normal. It was, you know, it was normal to me. I grew up in public housing. Okay. So, uh, you know, in one form or fashion or another, even though my family was all in the same neighborhood, I grew up uh, generally um, building the building, you know. So, okay. four-story <clears throat> buildings. It was uh, four four-story buildings um, on my block. And we kind of, you know, transitioned from one building to the other. You know, were they all the same or were others better than others or how did that work? Like, man, you know how you start here and then you, you transition know, there and then you go over here. All I'm going to say is, man. One had man, roaches, one had man, mice, then one didn't well, have nothing. Well, they all had roaches. So <laughs> I, I'll say that. But, um, you know, the ghetto is the ghetto. You don't really mm. know where you are and what you're going through until you get older. Yeah. So it was, what, it was what I was used to. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, you know. I kind of I adjusted to my to my foundation, yeah. and you know that's kind of you know where my start came from. But I wouldn't take it back for anything in the world. It's it's easy to say um, what we would want in life, mm-hmm. but you know I, I'm where I am right now for a reason, and that's a mm-hmm. part of it. When you were a kid and they used to ask you what you want to be when you grow up, what was your answer? Hmm. <clears throat> you know I had I had a little bit of talent when I was a kid, man. So okay. Um. You know, I think my my first response to that would have been maybe a musician. Oh shit! Okay, um, I was you know I was real deep into to instruments, you know, into playing music when I was young. So I literally put up a post on my Facebook not too long ago, and um, my father is, was kind of instrumental in this. But I was without being classically trained, I learned how to write and read music at a very young age. So. Mm-hmm. Um, by the time I was 10, I was playing in the orchestra. I had, you know, the experience of being able to play in the orchestra. Mm-hmm. And it was a um, a big fight between my parents uh, when I was 9, 10 years old. And it was about me going to play in a particular uh, <clears throat> um, section of the orchestra. And in the midst of their beef, I almost missed being able, you know, to have my opportunity. Oh, wow. But uh, my father made sure that I got there, you know, and it was just, that was my passion then, that and writing. Okay. You know, so even though I was young, um, what instrument know, did you play? I played the trumpet, trumpet the and trumpet. The cornet. 
Okay. Yeah. Which one did you do first? Which one was easier? Well, they they basically the same. The the cornet and the trumpet are basically the same. The cornet is just smaller. Okay. Yeah, but the, you know the music is still the same. The notes are still the same. Mm-hmm. Um, everything about the instruments are basically the same. Okay. It's just about whatever you pick it up. It wasn't like no big deal when you go to public school and you go to uh, instrument class. You know, instrumental or whatever the case. Yeah. When you go to music, they just say go yeah, pick music a music class. Right. Yeah. So I ended up with the trumpet because. The drumsticks was already gone. It ain't like that's what I wanted to do. And I <laughs> that's what special. I did. I did the drums, right. man. I love the drums. So that's basically what it came out to be. And then, you know, I picked it up. I've always been able to adapt well. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, like I say, you know, a lot of people just don't ask those questions. So they really don't really know the history of things because they don't, you know, when you live your life a particular type of way, people focus on certain things and mm-hmm. they miss everything else. <clears throat> no doubt about mm-hmm. it. So what kind of childhood did you have growing up, bro? Uh, you know, well, what was your community like? In, in all honesty, like I said, I didn't really understand the strain of the community that I came from until I was older. But as far as having memories of, of growing up, everything was fine in my life until my mother reached the point of a particular strain in her life. So, you know, my mother had two children by the time she was 16. Um, and, you know, once, you know, she was trying to navigate through some things and ran into some obstacles in a row, it started to affect me um, and my siblings. Because up until that point, regardless of what we were going through, um, I felt the love. I could still remember it. Um, I remember the bond that I had. I can remember looking at the pictures know between me and my mom you know um and it was always something separate um between her and at the time my sister because i have an older sister but at the time it was just us mm-hmm. but it was fine up until you know maybe about six six seven years old mm-hmm. and it was at that time the thing started i really had to grow up and that's saying a lot considering i was six mm-hmm. seven years old but that's when I started to notice the differences and started to pay attention to the strain that, that came along with growing up where I grew up. Yeah, no doubt. And I can relate, you know what I'm saying? Because, you know, me being the oldest, like I always, I had responsibility at a young age already, having two younger brothers, you know what I'm saying? You know, I, I consider myself to be one of the, you know, how they call it, the mistake child, you know? <laughs> and not to say that I was a mistake, but, you know, when you the firstborn, you know what I'm saying? A lot of times, a lot our parents had kids at a young age, and they made a lot of their mistakes, you know, with their first child. You know what I mean? Like, I endured things that my brothers didn't have to endure, you know? And, um, but I felt like, you know, um, navigating through life, you know, I became, you know, the, the project, you know what I'm saying, mm-hmm. to teach and, and how to, you know, treat, you know what I'm saying, my brothers as they came later on in life. I think my sister would have been that child. Me and my sister mm-hmm. was stair-step. And uh, as we grew, my sister raised me, you know, mm-hmm. on the most part. But my sister might have been that child, and then I might have been the, um, I'm going to keep him if I have a baby child. Yeah. You know, so, and that's where things went wrong. Like, once my mother got to a point where she figured out, she couldn't have my father the way that she wanted him. Or oh, he went downhill from there. Mm-hmm. It went downhill. 
So everything there was was about an adjustment. I think that would have been around the stage where I grew up and learned the term product of my environment. Yeah. Um, I'm from the hood. I'm from the ghetto and all that kind of stuff. But I think that if uh, my mother would have had healthier relationships, I would have <clears> never <throat> been introduced to that term, you know, to that mm-hmm. cliche or whatever it is you want to call it. Mm-hmm. But that's basically when when I started to see the strain. Tell me a life lesson that you learned from your mother and a life lesson that you learned from your father that you still apply to this day. Well, that had to be two parts. Um, Once I started to grow a little bit and started to acknowledge what was going on, my goal was to be the total opposite of both my parents. Mm -hmm. Um, My father, I love him to death. My father kept me by his side just like I keep my son by my side but my father was you know my father a ladies man which comes with his own troubles right and uh and my mother was you know she was an opportunist so um I wanted to be the total opposite because my mother was all about drama and my father was all about being a player so my truest lesson would have been to be the total opposite of both of them so I could grow to be, you know, what I would view as whatever normal was. You know, I didn't understand it at the time. But like I say, my truest lesson from both of them would have been to be the total opposite of what they were. Wow. Yeah. And that's crazy because most most people just follow suit. You know, they become, like you said, a product of, of their environment. And for you you know, at the point that you were at that age, you wanted to grow into your own purpose. You wanted to grow into yourself, you know. You clearly, you know, uh, weren't comfortable or didn't approve of the way they was each living because you knew better to want to do something different. I think I recognized that early. Um, I've had my differences with my parents, but, you know, I'm I'm a God-fearing man. I love both of my parents. Mm -hmm. But uh, it wasn't until I was... You know, basically in my 40s that I understood that whatever pain and struggle that they had at the time wasn't something that I was going to understand. So the beef that I may have had with my parents, you know, when I was a kid, I don't have that beef anymore. You know what I'm saying? Um, My father went to prison just like I went to prison. And when my father came home from prison, guess what? I took care of him. You know, you know, having some differences never stopped me from uh, from growing as a man. And in all honesty, it just helped me reflect more. You know, so um, my father gave me, you know, footsteps to, you know, gave me a path to walk in. And even though, you know, I bumped my head a couple of times, I learned. I learned from my experiences, mm-hmm. you know. So it got to a point where my father would, would trust me to lead him. And that's not something we always get a chance to do because we, we are the children. So um, but right now to this day, my father trusts me to lead him because I'm, you know, I'm going to push him in the right direction. And it's just my way of telling him, listen, I love you. You know, I understand that, you know, whatever it is that y'all went through and it ain't had nothing to do with me. It is what it is. I know y'all didn't see this coming. Yeah, no doubt. But, but at the same time, um, people could hold me to this. Um, the first people that we defend in our lives are the people who put us in the situation that we're in. Yeah. And, yep. you know, that's our mothers and fathers. So we'll sit up here and like, I love my mama. I'll kill for my mama. You know, I love my daddy. And in, in all honesty, they put me in a situation I was in. You know, at the end of the day, mm-hmm. my mother and father raised a gangbanger and a drug dealer. You know, 
So I had to be mindful of that, but also I still had to get to a point where I had to be accountable for the route that I went because I still had a choice. Ain't no doubt. And I knew that at a young age, you know what I'm saying? And I mean, like you said, bro, I didn't know the difference between right was wrong. I was just living the life that I was given. You know what I'm mm. saying? You see guns, you see violence, you see drugs, you see gangs. I, I mean, I've been seeing this shit since childhood has been in the family. You know what I mean? Mm. And I, I didn't know no difference. This shit was normal. All my aunts, uncles, cousins, everybody rocking the same. And then everybody in the community. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like this, this is the social norm for our community. This is how we I'm operate. I'm still trying here. to figure it out. You so I, I can't act like I know everything, but because I'm, I'm still trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about adolescence, middle school, mm-hmm. high school. Uh, what kind of student were you? What was you doing, you know, at that time? Well, I was a, I was a very good student. Um, always had been. Um, you've been around me for a couple of years. Did you, you graduate? Yeah, yeah, I graduated. Where'd you graduate from? Um, I, gra- I actually graduated from, from Osborne. Um, okay. But I was able to uh, tap into a couple of private schools um, along the way. Um, I went to Spain Middle School. I got shifted around. I went to Rose Elementary School. That was the elementary school in my in my neighborhood. Um, when I went to high school, I had the opportunity to go to a couple of schools, and Country Day ended up being one of those schools. And then what happened is, um, due to my complicated home life, because I was a state ward, you know, things of that nature. Um, I had already been incarcerated by the time I was 15. Damn, okay. Yeah, so I ended up having to leave the school, and, um, and then I ended up uh, going back to public school once I was released from, uh, from uh, independent living, um, you know, being a state ward and actually having to go into custody. So, Damn. Yeah, so it was I – I had a hell of a opportunity, but – I just wasn't stable enough to be able to take advantage of it. Did you play any sports in school? Yeah, I played. I played everything. I had. Uh, I actually got seven letters in school. I got seven letters. What does that mean? The letters is whatever sports you play. So, uh, oh, okay. like, you get a letter. Uh, you basically get a certificate for whatever letter you played. So, different schools, different opportunities. I had different coaching. I had uh, different coaching from different places, and I had people who pushed me in different directions. Okay. So what was interesting about my high school athletic career is I had a, a mentor and a coach named uh, Marilyn Layler, and um, she was actually a swim coach, and I ran into her in, um, in, in middle school. And, you know, I had got exposed to, you know, gang activity, you know, things of that nature as, as young as, you know, 10 years old. So when I was in middle school with her, which was at Spain, she was uh, she was a swim teacher. I ran into her at a later date. And it was this, you know, young woman at the time, a teacher, an educator who pushed me in a particular direction. And what she did is she challenged me to walk away from the major sports and to uh, focus on what we would consider the unpopular or minor sports, swimming, golf, tennis, you know, things of that nature. And uh, she gave me, and I still live by this to this day, she said, you know, football and basketball would teach me camaraderie, but where is it really going to get me in life? So she put me in the pool, and she knew my situation, and she was like, I'm going to train your mind. Instead of training you to be popular, I'm going to train your mind. She said, when you stop swimming, you'll still be able to take the lessons that I give you and live life. 
And she told me this as a young man, and wow. I understood it. That's so dope. That's the, a teacher. The influence, That's a yeah, teacher. the influence that she had over me at that time, she basically told me, you're going the wrong route. I'm going to make sure that you graduate. I'm going to make sure that you have an opportunity. I'm going to make sure that you live. And this is what she was telling me, being in my life for about three years at the time, and um, me missing her and then seeing her after I had been incarcerated and got out. I ran into her, and she literally you know, helped boost me, and that's how I ended up at Osborne. Okay, that's dope. So you have some guidance. Yeah, yeah. I had I had more guidance outside the home than inside, you know. Okay. And uh, plus, I you know I left home at a very young age. So, so what happens after high school, man? Like you know what? What you graduate? You go to college? You go to the military? Like you know, it's like once you once you graduate high school, it's like the whole world's in front of you. The whole look, world of opportunities. I graduated basically from life maybe at twelve or thirteen. So. Mm-hmm. At 13, I get a knock on the door, and my mother came in my room. We had been having some problems back and forth. But at 13, my mother came in my room with a gun and told me to leave home. So she pulled a gun on me at 13. Um, I didn't wake up for school on time, and she generally woke me up for school. So the, the consensus at the time was, why are you late for school? This, that, this seemed like to be the excuse on that day. Um, the gun was sitting behind her leg. You know, we, we had a lot of issues inside of the household and, um, she told me to leave and I left and she told me to give her the keys and not to come back. So the reason why I backed up to that point is because this was before high school. It was basically before I even reached the point of high school. So, um, I left, I opened my bedroom window that day. I came back every day for seven days. I would come in, crawl in the window, um, go in the kitchen, make me a sandwich or something, <clears> wash <throat> up, change my clothes, put my clothes on the hanger, hang them in the closet, go hide in the basement, and I would go to sleep. On the seventh day that I came in the house, the window was locked. She figured out I had been coming into the house. Um, that was 40 years ago, Man. you know, maybe four, you know, 30, 38, 37, 38 years. I haven't been home since. Damn. So 13, 14, I was already gone. This was before my 14th birthday. So I spent my entire high school career bouncing around, couch surfing, being in the system. You know, I ran into some mishaps um, a little while after I left home. You so when the, I graduated. You were in the juvenile system too, right? <clears throat> yeah, I, I graduated. On, on force? No, no, I graduated. I went to, I went to prison. So, okay. yeah, I went to Maxie. Okay, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, I was I was kind in of going uh, a pioneer. Yeah, I bounced around. I went to uh Wolverine Human Services. Mm-hmm. So I spent a lot of time there. I um I was out there in Vassar, man. That was actually yeah. one of the best things that happened to me when they sent me to boot camp. Yeah. I went to Vassar, Michigan at the uh Pioneer Work and Learn Center, bro. I became a Wolverine and I learned a lot of things, bro. Even though I still wasn't, you know, uh ready to leave that lifestyle alone. I still learned a lot in there, you know what I'm saying, about just independence. And, Man, I, I, went, I went and didn't go home. Mm-hmm. I went to FNS, and, uh, which was in Inkster, Michigan. But um, when I got arrested and sent to jail, they, you know, they gave me the speech on, you know, give us your parents' name so we can have them come get you. And I never gave them my parents' name. So I was a John Smith for the longest because I would never tell them anything. And then I ran away over and over. I went to Denby. Um, children's home so I ran away several times every chance I got a, a chance you know every time I got a chance I ran away so I learned I learned a lot you know what I'm saying in, in that time 
because I didn't have any foundation. I didn't have parents. I didn't have, you know, any of that. Maxi so, training school was rough, too, bro. That's where they sent all the gangbangers. It was, well, that's where they sent you if you was adjudicated and you were unmanageable. That was basically mm -hmm. prison. So you had, you know, um, Sequoia and then you had um, Green Oaks. And mm -hmm. Green Oaks was basically Green Oaks custody. was the other one. Yeah. Yo, yeah, it was Maxi so, Training School in Green Oaks. Yeah. And, and thank God at the time I was at a St. Thomas Holder facility over on the east side. Mm -hmm. And um, they was trying to send me to either Maxi or Green Oaks. But uh, my godparents, they had connections to the Pioneer Work and Learn Center. Mm -hmm. So they had a meeting with the administration. And um, and before they could transfer me to Maxi uh, Training School, they ended up sending me to Pioneer Work and Learn Center, which mm -hmm. was way much better for me you know what i'm yeah. saying i, I never mean, i never knew the differences until i was older but you know mm -hmm. like don the don bosco's the you know all the different mm -hmm. you know star commonwealth star I didn't, commonwealth yeah, i didn't know that our parents actually had some leeway in those decisions but um like i say i you know i didn't really have my parents weren't there at that, mm -hmm. at that stage of my i life. was just terrible man I, I i raised so much hell for my mom and for my family just being young, rebellious, you know what I'm saying? Young gang member, selling drugs, all that shit. Like, well, I did it all. But yeah. I, I just took I took the activity with me everywhere I went. When I left, you know, when mm -hmm. I, I did graduate high school, um, I went um, up to Eastern Michigan. Um, within a year, I got kicked out. Um, I got kicked out of Eastern. How I come you got up, kicked out? Selling dope. Got into some, some group fights up there. Um... I think that might have been. I think I lasted a year. I think it was going into the second year that I got um, that I got kicked out. But um, like again, I didn't have any foundation. The story behind even me getting in college that was you know my teachers, the educators, the people that was behind me. I haven't had a parent's name on any of my paperwork for school since the eighth grade. Damn. You know I've I don't pay crackheads. You know it was a lot of different things we could do to manipulate the system back then. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, I've had, you know, drug addicts and everything enroll me in school, you know, playing like they with my parents. I've had teachers, you know, enroll me in school. Damn, that's crazy, yeah, bro. Yeah, I've, I've had a, you know, I had a hell of a story. Who got you into selling dope? Where you learned well, this shit from? Well, my father, my father was big, you know what I'm saying, when it, when it came to selling dope. But the story behind that is, is, is crazy because, um, even though my father was in the game, he exposed me to everything, but he wasn't, that wasn't how I got started. How I got started is I grew up on the, on the, um, Chambers block. I grew up, um, you know, the Chambers brother in, in, in that mm -hmm. area. And what happened is the older guys, I grew up in a time where kids couldn't touch drugs. They wouldn't allow the kids to touch drugs because heroin was the, was the big drug at the time. Mm -hmm. So the story behind me actually selling dope was, a bunch of the older guys were um, hanging on the block, and um, they was doing their thing, and then they got raided. Um, they stashes were all in the bushes and behind the store. So when the guys got raided, me and my friends went into the stash, and then we served all the fiends that were out there on the block that night. <laughs> so now I'm 13, you know what I'm saying? And, and you know what I'm saying? I made like $900 that night. It's been a rap ever since. So okay. from that's that was my introduction to it. Um, but I grew up in the buildings that you know the actual uh, uh, movie New Jack City was made about. So I had seen the foundation of how everything was done, and then my father and all his friends sold drugs. <clears throat> so um, 
let's just say I learned how to earn before I learned how to work. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I learned I learned conflict before I learned resolution, you know, things of these yeah, nature. Yeah, so yeah, at, no so at a very young age and then growing up in public housing, it made it easy because walking through the hallways, I experienced the dope things. So literally once I got a niche to the game and I had the money and by my father being as popular as he was, a lot of the people, the older guys respected me because of who my father was. So when it came time for me to learn how to cop, I'm not one of the guys who ever worked for anybody from the, from the beginning. Mm. I was able to cop my own dope and I grew. So at a very young age, I, you know, I came up and, you know, what a lot of people don't realize and a lot of people who see me now, the streets was business to me. So how I was introduced to the gang culture, how I was introduced to the dope game, you know, this, that, and other, it was business to me. And I tell people all the time, because the work that we in, we experience people from so many different areas. And I tell people all the time, Detroit, I'm everything that this listed and spoke of when it comes to this city, to mm-hmm. the inner city of Detroit, I'm, I'm that. Like, this is not... You know, it's not Miami, it's not Philly, it's not Chicago, it's not L.A., this ain't Houston, this ain't, you know, as far as Detroit is concerned, everything about my style and my hustle is represents is, Detroit. It represents Detroit. Yeah. yeah, ain't no doubt about it, man. Ain't no place like home, bro. I love L.A., I love Chicago, I love, you know, I love everywhere, but... Everywhere I go, bro, I got my city on my back, yeah. you know what I'm saying? We, we catch the label, we've been... uh. You know, Detroit, you know, we're in the Midwest, so we adopted a lot of, you know, a lot of the activity, a lot of the culture from other places, but I've never changed it. What, what it you know, I evolved business-wise, you know, <clears throat> so the conversation about money and how the money came about, like I grew over time. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? My hustle grew over time. And, you know, it showed and how I kept up with the culture of what was moving in this city. Mm. So when we move more so toward, like this is a city of, of, of crews and, you know, and, uh, you know, people putting things together, crews and hustling. We adopted towards the things that were introduced to us from other cultures, from other cities over time. But what I did is I just incorporated it into my hustle, you know, okay. and then me and my friends, we, we grew with that. It was, it was five, you know, it was five of me and my homeboys when we were younger, and we started what we were a part of, and then it just kind of morphed into other things. Me, my homeboy, Bati, Shannon, um, Joe, and, uh, and Brian, oh, and, and my homeboy, Corky. And then every, everything else just kind of grew. So we started at four or five people, and then it morphed into, you know, 200-some-odd guys. Mm-hmm. So, and this is 40 years ago, so it's not like... The conversation that we having about was considered gangs because we stuck on that, you know, the gangs and the yeah. culture and stuff like that. If, if you've known me as long as you've known me, I've never promoted any of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm about getting money. That's what it was. It was it was a business to me. So if it wasn't about getting money, I didn't care about none of that other stuff. And see, I think that's what made me more dangerous to anything than most because you had the gang the gang members you know that sold drugs that's what they was good at so they stayed in the in the hustling lane mm-hmm. then you had you know the gang members who were not hustlers you know what i'm saying but they were shooters and you know they were warriors you know what i mean so i started out as a gang member first you know i started out as a warrior and then adopted the hustle game mm-hmm. so for me i just felt like 
I couldn't be fucked with, you know what I'm saying? Because I had the best of both worlds, you know? We could do business or I could lay you down, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? However the fuck you want this shit to go, that's how it was, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And um, and that's 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 a double threat, you know? Well, well for me, I'll be, I be totally honest. Um, I mean, I hear so many stories and, you know, like, you know, all of our, our foundations are different. I was so hurt from what went on in my household. You know, mm-hmm. like the distance between me and my mom, you know what I'm saying? Um, the, the, you know, all the fighting between her and my dad and then being out there on my own. That I was a monster when I was young because I was hurt. Absolutely. So I was a problem. Yeah, we didn't have so no like, anger management. Right. I still right now to this day, listen to me. I did 17 years as an adult. I did 19 years total. And I ain't never have a conflict in prison. Mm-hmm. Whenever I had something was on the floor, I dealt with it right then and there. Mm-hmm. So when I listen to the stories, I'm like, eh, you know, like my experience was different. Mm-hmm. I took everything that was about me. I took everywhere I went. So um, to be honest, I was scared more so than I was tough because I was the weakest link in my crew. Out of all of us, all of my friends were, were murderers. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And I was violent. Everybody thrived off violence. Yeah, we, and you yeah. thrived off intelligence. Yeah, and what happened is, the the foundation of, of of my intellect is what pushed me, and my that was my discipline. But the guys that I started with, man, we were friends. You know, that's that's what it was. We were mm-hmm. friends. We came from a particular area, and then over time, our skill sets for whatever it is we was doing wrong kind of morphed into something else. So when I got involved in the violent part of the streets. Mm-hmm. Bro, I didn't even care. I just was, I was hurt. I was waiting. I had a chip on my shoulder. So I became, you know, the first person to bomb out because I wanted to get that frustration off. Mm-hmm. So, and then I went to prison at a very young age. And then, and mm-hmm. then that's what's glorified though. That's what gets you to your respect. That's yeah. what gets you the honor is, you know, living in a bloodthirsty society, baby. That's what they glorify, bro, yeah. is the blood, the violence and the level of violence. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I learned, I learned at a very young age when I got to hustling. I mean, when I came across my first connect, he said he had a, you know, he took a concern to that. He's like, man, you running with some guys, man. They kind of, you know what I'm saying? That's not all the, all the beefing is not good for money. Yeah, yeah. So what I learned at that time was, like, if you ever see me, and I've told you this a couple of times, I, I never take anything personal. I don't show a lot of emotion. You've been around me a long time. Mm-hmm. I don't show emotion. But I don't really care what somebody has to say about me because, you know, like, I'm really about that life. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, what I need to promote it for? Like, if I got a problem then we're going to deal with whatever the problem is. Mm-hmm. So I learned, like I said, at a young age, in order for me to get money, you can't beef and get money at the same time. I know. That's what my uncles used yeah. to teach me because, like I said, I was doing both, but it was mm-hmm. a conflict of interest because I had so much heat coming to the house and to my people because of the gang shit that yeah. it was affecting us being able to make money. And we need money because we got to live. Right. We got to survive. You know what I'm saying? But also like like, like yeah. us, our vision of making money was never about getting rich. Our vision of right. getting money was just about survival. So it was like, you know, um, us getting money, there was no... There was no guidebook to say what you should do with the money. Everything was just about let's get through the day. Let's survive. Let's, you know what I'm saying? Well, the, the I, true name of the game is to use everybody around you. That's, yeah. how, that's how I got in. Somebody used me. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it was what it was. But me, personally, I was poor. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't hustling to be cool. I mm-hmm. was trying to eat. 
and I end up just being good at it. I was Hell the first yeah. person from my immediate circle, from my immediate circle to actually see a dollar, to get on the other side of a dollar. Because still, my homeboys still to this day, you know, a lot of them, they just killers. You know, but my father taught me this as a young man. He said, I don't want you to be a killer. He said, a killer always going to need instructions. Mm-hmm. He's always going to need instructions. And then when I started to grow financially and, you know, I started to grow in my hustle, everybody that I was connected to, they were more so, they took chances on me because I was real calm and collective. Mm-hmm. And I tell people all the time, I'm like, I don't, I don't want to talk about it. You know, if it comes down to it, I don't want to talk about it. If it's time to go there, we're going to go there. But I'm not going to show my cards. Mm-hmm. And um, I haven't always been able to convince the people around me that, but I've been out here for 40 years. And ain't none of us bad. Anybody can get it. I've been shot five times. It ain't, you know what I'm saying? It ain't. Yeah, yeah. So it ain't like Tupac. Out yeah. There, so it wasn't a, 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 you know, if a person get to you, they get to you. Mm-hmm. Some of them, some people make it, some people don't. But we tend to think that we're bigger than we are in a very, very small area. How did you feel after you got shot, bro? Like what? Well, what? What crossed your mind? Like what transitions, changes did you need to make? Did you embrace it? Did you like just because it was so many people I know that got shot, and after that they went full Tupac mode? Like you know what I'm saying? I, listen, you know, I didn't on, know on the hard to kill shit. You know what I mean? And I'm like, really? Like if I was shot, I'd be grateful. I don't care if I got shot in the foot or whatever. I'm gonna be grateful because I'm like that bullet could have hit me in the head and I could have been dead. To be honest, it it didn't. It, all it did was make me worse. Um, I seen my father. My father got shot uh, basically in front of me as a kid. I had an uncle that got shot in front of me as a kid. So when I got shot and I lived, it was like mm, people put you on this pedestal. So there, you can't be the man on your own. Somebody got to hype you up. Mm-hmm. So when I got shot, I was just in the, you know, I was with the wrong people. I'm with my people. I catch a bullet. I live. And, um, you know, from that point on, it's like it was what it was. I got shot in three different incidents. God um, damn, dog. So, you was always in the wrong place at the wrong time. What I mean, but when you, when, you live in, when you live in your life like that, you Yo, know, I'll it's I'll a put daily. some holy water on <laughs> yeah. your ass. God damn, so, It was, uh, to be honest, man, it just was, it was it's like it came with the territory. Just like, you know, you've been to prison, you from the hood. Like, when you go to prison, we didn't even look at it as a bad thing. So, you know, it was what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, it that's something. what I'm saying. It's like you glorify it almost, you know, like you wear it as a bad at, badge at of time, honor. You yeah, know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, damn, time, you made it, though. bro. I definitely bro. look at I definitely look at things differently now. Um, prison didn't help me look at things differently. Um, it wasn't even the experience that made me look at things differently. I think I just woke up one day and was like, you know, it got to be something else out here. And, and it still took me 10 years to figure it out. You know, um, I mean, who really wants to live their life like that? But I was just doing what was normal to me. Mm-hmm. Like you said, I didn't view what I was doing as wrong at the time because it was the only thing that I saw. Mm-hmm. I had never seen anything outside of my block. You know what I'm saying? Dope fiends. I, I went to school every morning. I stepped over dope fiends. You know, the only people that I seen that were constructive in my life was Teachers. <laughs> you go to school, the teachers talk mm-hmm. to you, you know, this, that, and, and, and that's crazy because when I was, uh, I, when I was in a joint, I was working with a lot of youth and, um, you know, they just had this huge lack of respect for adults. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what's the problem, bro? Because like I was raised to always respect adults, you know? 
And a lot of them were like, bro, like where I'm from, all the adults are dope fiends. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. A lot of them are like, man, I sell crack to my mom. I sell heroin to my dad. I sell shit to my aunts, my uncles. So I, and they, so they look at adults like, you know what I'm saying? Like these are adults that are around me. I had no respect for them because they're drug addicts. You know what I'm saying? So when an adult does try to tell you something, you know what I'm saying? Like they don't want to hear that shit because they feel like you can't teach them anything. Yeah, I, I had some home training. It, all the differences that I had with my parents, I've never disrespected either one of my parents, never a day of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, to be honest, man, I was too busy trying to trying to make it on my own. Like I said, I've been on my own since I was 13. Mm-hmm. So a lot of even, you know, I've been married, you know, raised children and all this kind of How stuff. How long was you married for? I was married for, uh, for 22 years. Damn. Yeah, 22 years. That's a years. whole lifetime. I tried. You know, 22. I tried. Okay, and what, what happened? Well, to be honest, man, I, I tried to change my life around. And, and my uh, I was married twice, um, 13 years. Yeah, it is. Years. First it was once, now it was twice. Yeah. Player, player, uh, we know you get it from your papa, boy. Papa was a rolling stone. That was coming yeah. out. But when I, um, when I, and I brung it to my wife, you know, after so long, I was trying to change things around. Um, She wasn't used to me you know, going that route. And then it became, it put a lot of stress on my, on the foundation of my marriage because I was trying to do something different. She wasn't used to that. So she didn't, um, she didn't really support that decision. And, uh, you know, it kind of, like I say, it put enough strain on the marriage to a point where I had to think like, I can't stay free. I can't be stressed out and trying to do the right thing. Cause mm-hmm. I didn't know how to do the right thing. It was something that I had to learn. Mm-hmm. So I loved her to death, but I had to go. And you, know you guys had kids or no? No, no, we didn't have kids. Okay, all yeah, right. My kids. Um, so you was married to a woman for twenty two years and never had no kids. No, I was married. I was married twice. So that was my second. Damn, wife. how where'd you had time? How old are you, bro? Damn, yeah. if you was married for twenty two, yeah. well, the uh, other one was had to be a short marriage. No, I got I got married. No, I was married for nine years and then thirteen years. Oh, okay. So, but then you got to remember, I did some time. You know, in between that. You and was married I, to the MDOC yeah. too. Yeah, huh? yeah, yeah, I definitely was married yeah, to them. Me too. Seventeen yeah. of the yeah. damnedest. So, but you know, you figure um, my daughter is is twenty seven. You okay. know what I'm saying? So I got a twenty seven, a twenty five, and then I got a four year old. You know, so um, damn, bro, I'm learning more and more about you, bro. Yeah. Just having you on my podcast, yeah, I'm, learn, I'm, so I'm learning this shit. How you guys is learning yeah. it right I now? Think, you know, like you don't say this to me in the past. Like, where did I have time to do this? When did I have time to do that? But I'm old, you know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. what I did is, like, you know, I had a stint in the military. The, the military came about because I was trying to make some changes in my life as well. So I actually had got involved in some shootings and um, was about to get indicted. And this was in the early 90s. And then uh, what I did is I hurried up and went and tried to enlist in the military and um, so I could get away from it. Okay. And uh, at the time, you know, it was a different day and time, you know, less technology, this, that, and other. So before, you know, my name came up, I was involved in a lot, and I got off and ended up going into the military. Okay. And um, I got hurt. But the military, you know, gave me a lot of opportunities, like when it came to, um, um, you know, educating myself, this, that, and the other. I was able to pick the ball back up on my education. I had got some college money, um, so I was able to go back to school. And then it took me out of my environment. The thing is, I still took my, my mentality with me, but it did take me out of my environment because I sold dope my whole life. And I took it everywhere I went. 
I took yep. it to school. I took it to college. I took it to the military. I took it to jail. Yeah. I didn't do the average time. Like, like I say, I did a lot of time. But like when I listen to people talk about prison, I'm never hearing all the real stories. I'm not hearing about the guys who stole noodles. I ain't hearing about the guys who <laughs> was homosexual. I'm not, I'm not hearing about the guys who was using women for $27 to get on the phone. I'm not hearing all of that. <laughs> so prison, you know, I recruited, you know, the foundation of what I was doing everywhere I went. Mm-hmm. Like when I was in the hood, I learned how to hustle. I came up. I learned how to push that bag. I pushed my bag. Everywhere I went, I recruited. Push my bag everywhere I went. But so how, and so, how do you incorporate that amongst your people? You know, amongst your your crew, because like in my experience, like I said, sometimes you know everybody ain't a hustler. Everybody don't know how to get money, and sometimes a lot of them they start to get jealous of you and your position and you I, making money and and unless you feeding them. But even then, when you breaking bread with them, they don't want what you give them. They want what you got. You know, I, what I've mean? been fortunate. And this is why I say this is not other places. So Detroit has morphed into the culture of other foundations. You know what I'm saying? Different people brought, even me and myself, when, in the early 90s, when me and my friends were running around going from city to city, trying to figure out what was going on and how to push our bag, we started to bring cultures from other places back to where we were from. Because I spent time, I'm talking this 30 years ago, I was in L.A. and I was mm-hmm. coming back and I got exposed to, you know, the gang culture there. I went to St. Louis. I went to Philly. I went to um, New York. I went to, you know what I'm saying, I was in D.C. because I've lived in different places, too. I lived in Atlanta. I lived in D.C. I lived in Chicago. So what happened is I started to pay attention to how things were, were moving in other places. And then we started to bring the culture back here. So what it did here is once people started to bring the culture back to Detroit, they started to, things started to change. So it was around, you know, the early 90s, a lot of people were beef about it. It was the early 90s when we started to adapt towards colors. It wasn't like Southwest. I had absolutely no experience in Southwest as a young man, mm-hmm. right? My whole thing was, I ain't going to Southwest. If, like, if I don't know nobody in Southwest, mm-hmm. I ain't going to Southwest. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't until I went to jail that I had met people from Southwest. But no matter what culture came here, I remained true to what I knew Detroit was about so the game culture as it ended up turning into here was just a business opportunity for me so okay yeah because I was I was a part of a crew I came up in my crew and we was about getting money so when everybody brought the culture I tell people this all the time they could beef with me about it if they want he who controls the bag controlled everything mm-hmm. because like you said everybody's not a hustler but what I found is at a very young age, you know, in my 20s or so, a lot of people were confined to their block. And I wasn't. I wasn't confined mm-hmm. to my block. Like, I could go east. I could go west. I could, mm-hmm. You know, I could be on Joy Road one Same day. Same with me, I could bro. Be, yeah, so I was, I was traveling because I mm-hmm. had the bag. So then I built associations across mm-hmm. the city. And then even with my gang affiliation, my gang affiliation fell under one umbrella. So mm-hmm. if you know something about me, I don't promote anything or any organization i don't care what it is that condoned me doing the wrong thing that was legal mm-hmm. so if we are part if we gang banging together we doing something wrong in the first place mm-hmm. right so my connections to everything that i'm doing now 
came from me having a street pass. It didn't come from my education. It didn't come from uh, any uh, organizations that I was a part of. And that's the reason why I don't promote any of them. Because I see more gang members in the street than I do these so-called organizations. So what I did is I don't promote that. Mm. I don't promote it. I, I see the varsity jacket, man. Yeah. That boy's sweet, man. Got yeah, the big gotta, B's on it, big fives on it. Okay, then my dog, man. You had that customized? Yeah, ain't no secret. You know yeah, what I'm saying? That boy you know, looks sweet, man. I like that. I'm going to have to give me one this, customized. This, this like everything else. It's going to go with me everywhere I go. You yeah. know? But like That's I say, this graduation, your I, I push. Listen, I'll push. I'll push my street roots and all that more than I push anything else because this is what put me in a position that I was in today. Like the the recognition that I get now, I end up in a in a, in a job in a few that you know end up putting me in a position to change my life around on the most sort on the on the most part because of what I was a part of in the wrong times. You know when in in a part of my life where I did wrong for a living. It wasn't the, you know, the ties that I had to everything else that helped me get there. Mm -hmm. So the people who gave me a chance, they gave me a chance knowing that I had a pass. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and that's why, you know, like in my office, I got a red, blue and black flag in my office because I'm like yeah, anybody, yeah, anybody yeah. welcome here because I come yeah. from that side of the line. And that's crazy because yeah. that's one of the things that benefited me was being a hustler and you know money doesn't discriminate and i've always had great social skills mm -hmm. and even even with my gang status bro i was able to go anywhere and everywhere and do business with anybody and i also gave everybody their respect bro you know what i'm mm -hmm. saying like everybody wasn't willing to do that because everybody was off pride everybody was off ego mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying a lot of people couldn't you know come to terms of being able to socialize with you know other people from other parts of the neighborhood or different gangs you know what i'm saying i've always seen it like we all in the same shit everybody just wearing different colors yeah you know I, i've seen it on on every level of everything i've been a part I've of. i've even made good friends good friends till this day with people who were in different gangs and right. and and had my back on a lot of things but i always you know respect my brothers because when it came to the point when I needed to retire my flag, you know, they gave me an honorable discharge. They understood, you know what I'm saying, where I was at in my life, everything that I had committed and given, you know, for the sake of, 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 the, of the neighborhood. And um, and still to this day, bro, they give me so much, so much love, so much support, so much praise for what I'm doing, how I'm living my life, you know what I'm saying, how I'm able to redeem myself and give back. And it's like now it's like, you know, um, I've always had great networking and social skills, but it's like on steroids, bro. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Just having, you know, love and support from everybody, bro, has um, really helped push the podcast, mm -hmm. has really uh, helped push my profession. And, um, you know, I just I I'm really looking forward, man, to the future and and um, and uh, hopefully that, um, you know, things things are going to work out, bro. Yeah, I, I me me personally, we had a conversation the other day and um I was telling you, like, I just left one of the most amazing experiences I had with two this year. You you actually was a part of both of them. Uh, one, a couple of days ago, you know, I'm sitting in a, you know, the House of Representatives. I was able to to have a conversation, as I told you, with uh, one of the young men that was uh, one of the representatives, this one of the chairs over um, issues like expungement, um, domestic violence, um, legal aid, you know, all the things that I'm a part of. So to be able to sit on the floor of the House of Representatives and have that conversation with somebody was big for me because having the knowledge to be there, he was shocked at 
at the knowledge that I had on the issue because it wasn't a planned conversation. And then when it happened, you know, I was ready for it. And then I ended up getting invited up, you know what I'm saying, to be able to have some insight on these issues. Another thing was, you know, being able to um, earlier this year have an opportunity to be able to sell my company. Um, and we had a conversation about that. I was offered, you know, $1.7 million for my company. And when I talked to you and I was like, man, I got to think about making this decision. And, um, and what I was trying to relate to you at the time was the reason why I was so back and forth on it is because I was like, well, I know how to make money the wrong way. Now I'm on the right side of the money. I have to do the right thing with it. Mm -hmm. But I ended up turning down the offer. The reason why I turned down the offer, and this is what I told you, I say everybody chasing the dollar, but I know what it's like to make money. Mm. But if I, get the, if I get money like that too fast and the people around me don't have the same earning potential, then I'm just going to blow the money because my heart has placed me in a position where I've given back everything that I had. So if they give me $1.7 million, a lot of people are going to see that number because it would have been public. Mm-hmm. But what happened is I would have got the money over like maybe an 18-month period, and I was trying to work out a deal because the number was actually lower than what mm-hmm. it was, but I pushed the numbers up because I wanted them to be able to pay the taxes. But what I did is I paid attention to my earning potential, and then I just placed myself in a position to be able to work with the people who was trying to offer me the money in the first place, so I ended up making money off of them instead mm-hmm. of them using me. It was the same thing as when I was in the streets. Um, a lot of people don't know the circle or the foundation of how I made my money. But I came up in the dope game. And then in the late, in the mid to late 90s, I got into the money laundering thing. So I went from selling dope to money laundering. And then the people who I laundered for, they paid me back in dope. Right? <laughs> so I kind of flipped, I kind of flipped things. Yep. And I got into the white collar crime. So now, you know, if I launder 100000 for somebody, I might get two bricks as a payment plus a couple of dollars. So what I did over time is, since I was making so much money on that, I just put my dope up because I was living, I wasn't paying for anything anyway. But what ended up happening was I came up with a plan. I was dealing with a lot of people that was trying to have money. And um, I started extorting them, basically. So it was like racketeering. I had people that was in high places that was trying to clean their money up. I would clean the money up, but these are the people who I sold drugs to. So these were the people who didn't have drugs. They had to pay me money. So by them being important and they didn't want to show that they was associated with somebody from my side of the line, what they would do is I came up with an idea. I would tell them, put me on all your financials, bank accounts, money investment accounts, credit cards, this, that, and the other. And then whenever you need to pay me, I just write myself a check. (laughs) And since they had habits, this allowed me to do things like sell them their drugs on the weekends for their parties. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, you charge somebody seven fifty for an ounce, I'm charging them 2000 So now I let them run a bill up, and it's not costing me nothing because I, you know, I got the bag, so I didn't care. I cut myself a check. Somebody might owe me 2000 I might write myself a check for 10 What are you going to do, tell on me? <laughs> so now I started to, in the money laundering racket, I started to set up all these companies. I went to prison for $5.62 million. So, like, people just never ask. I've never been convicted, and I don't care. Now I'm switching my life around. I've never been convicted of a major drug crime. Everybody knew I sold drugs for 25 years. Mm-hmm. I've never been convicted of a drug crime. I had never got convicted of a, um, of a, of a, a violent crime. No one had ever testified against me. 
They the only thing I've ever been convicted for was hiding money and guns. That's it. So you know how people That's could do all their it homework. takes, baby. That's it all it takes. Listen, man, the streets was business to me. So you have to be, you know, you you have to be humble about it, this, that, and other. And you're right. I did run into some, you know, some differences with people, you know, over, you know, over the years. And, you know, I did a lot of times, so I don't have my differences, but it was more so I'm I ain't nobody important. I just I I hustled well. Mm-hmm. I did well in my hustle. But as you know, I don't take away from anybody. So mm-hmm. as far as the people around me, I always took care of the people around me. Mm-hmm. But they had the opportunity to do whatever it is they was going to do with their money. And what I did is I did I did go the normal route in life. Like you say, I did a lot. I went mm-hmm. to the military. I went to college. I've, you know, I worked at a law firm. I found my way into these different entities. Mm-hmm. And I didn't buy my way in. I earned my way in. So, mm-hmm. so I wanted to talk about that. You know, you work on legalities, you know. Yeah. Is that something that you learned while you were in prison? And, and you know, um, you know once, once you got to the door of coming home, what was the mission? Well, I learned when I was younger, I learned the legal aspect of everything that I was doing. So I sold dope. Because so, like they say, yeah. ignorance to the law is no excuse. Right, no excuse. So what I did is I learned everything that surrounded what my hustles were. Murder, guns, and drugs is what I, is what I studied. Because I seen people die, I sold drugs, and guns was a part of that. Mm-hmm. So I learned everything in the aspect of this. This was 30 years ago. Once I got locked up, um, I started to focus more on, um, on appellate issues or, you know, just learning the law in general. And then I started to notice some loopholes. And it's ironic because in, I think, like, 99 or 2000, um, I exercised my Sixth Amendment right to represent myself on the case that I was on, and I went back to court, and I ended up getting some relief on that case. Oh wow! And it was, That's and dope. what made it so ironic was the judge who sentenced me to a million years, which was Judge. You Selinsky. went straight Johnny yeah, Conker, right? So, uh, Judge Selinsky was the judge who had sentenced me. I remember um, Selinsky, right? And Cut then, yeah, 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 so. No, that's cut him loose, oh, Bruce. Oh no, cut him loose, Salute. Bruce. Yeah. yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Selinsky had or another Selinsky, name. Yeah, he had another name. Yeah. I remember him so, too. So when I came home from prison, I ended up working my way up the chain legally, you know, through some associations and you know people giving me a chance, and I ended up in Judge Selinsky's courtroom, and uh, Judge Selinsky called me in the back of the chain. He stopped court and called me in the back of the chambers, and then when I ended up getting the job that I ended up getting, lo and behold, the first person that I meet at the job was his wife. So I'm sitting in the hallway, and she's like, do you know my um, my judge? I'm like, you know, she said, do you know my husband, judge? I'm like, yeah, your husband gave me 50-something years, you know? So um, yeah, she immediately know. called him. We went to lunch that day, um, and we, we've had a wonder, we have a wonderful relationship. So now here it is, the person who sentenced me to prison is now I could call him on my phone. I could literally call him on the phone and go to his house for dinner. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Showcase and change. He offered me a job and everything. He offered me a job in his court. And then, you know, here it is, the family of the individuals that weren't necessarily um, responsible for my incarceration. But here it is, one of the judges who actually ended up giving me some relief in court ended up being a personal friend of mine. But like I say, I, I learned, I did learn a lot about law when I was locked up. But I'm, you know, I had always been naturally um studious very studious so i I put in work and then when i came home this was something that i had put in work for maybe 20 years i got all of the i got all of the education that i could on that aspect um when i could but 
my prior education was 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 in journalism, which gave me my research skills, okay. communication, and then business. So I, the streets, like I said, was business to me. I went to school to learn how to have money. Mm-hmm. Like so, while I was selling dope. I was taking classes. So you never think, you know, all the square, everybody called me the square. Now I put a book bag on, you know, I'm always, you work with me for years. I'm, I'm always mm-hmm. on time. I take care of my business. So you work with a lot of youth in, 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 in their juvenile endeavors and stuff like that. Yeah. Is it easier working with the youth or with adults? I mean, you, I mean, you just got hired in, you know what I'm saying? To, the, to a new law firm that you're working with. Well, what happened is, um, I have a, clearly I have an association with, um, with the Joffe law firm, with several other law firms as well. Um, shout out to Martell, man, Edward yeah. Martell, Mr. Not Guilty. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, what happened was I was more so working in advocacy at the time and it's crazy because I was going to the courts every day and I was getting kicked out of the courts because I was helping people learn how to beat their tickets, you know, helping them understand the hearings that they were there for, you know, things Somebody that in the joint. No, no. In the courts, like in the court oh, system. In the courts. Here. Oh, okay. So what happened is someone from a law firm had recognized what I was doing because they had started to see me so much there. And then they set up a meeting with me to go um, to a particular law firm. And then what happened is I ended up at uh, um, having a conversation with the partners at uh, Applebaum and Stone. And then uh, once people started to test my knowledge, what I was going, I had some attorneys that, that gave me a chance. Um, um, rest in peace, uh, um, uh, Ray Page. Ray Page just passed not too long ago. Um, I had an opportunity. He called me in to help him on a murder case um, in 2015, which actually pushed my, um, pushed my status up. Because the work that I did with him on that case, and I actually got to a point where, you know, I literally was a part of the defense sitting at the table, you know what I'm saying, wow. in a murder trial. And um, it was crazy because it was, it was a hell of an experience. But when people seen the work that I was doing there, you know, it just kind of put me on the radar. And then, you know, some people, some family, friends, my, my uncle, my uncle uh, Phil Green um, had a lot of connections. He introduced me to some people. And, um, you know, I was able to you know, some doors open for me. And then next thing you know, I became freelance and working with attorneys around the city. But it was the advocacy part that really pushed me up the ladder because, like I say, the system is not designed to help our people understand it in real time. We generally get introduced to it when it's too late. And, um, you know, a part of helping these families, the uh, I end up building a, a really good rapport with the with the legal community and they would call me for help whenever they needed and then it basically turned into a career i didn't i didn't see it coming Mm -hmm. i generally in the past would i was doing it to help myself and help my friends Mm -hmm. but then on top of that you know by me being tied to the streets people came to me first and uh you know as far as the two crews that didn't link up that came together that you know i was tied to um of course i took care of everybody in my own circle so it you kept, know, you know, I took care of my business. You know, I was amazed when I had first met you and I had talked to you about, uh, you know, my murder case with Mike and Pat. And you were like, bro, I know your whole case. Mm-hmm. And I was like, are you serious? He was like, bro, I don't read the whole case. Yeah. I know everything. I was like, damn. And then you working on my brother, uh, uh, Dario Cruz, you know, yeah. you're working on his appeal right now. Yeah, I just got a, a message. Know, uh, free, uh, free Dario, yeah. man. Free Big Mike, man. Much love to you, brothers. Uh, free Tone Martinez, he on his way home too. Uh, you know, it's a lot of brothers coming home, bro, after, you know, 20, 25, 30 years, man. Yeah, we working on a couple of things. Um, 
you know, with uh, with Daryl. I'm working on a couple of things with Daryl Woods. We we're trying to build Shout relationships. Shout out to Daryl Woods. Yeah. That's my guy, man. Yeah. I was I was in prison with Daryl. Yeah, we we working on uh, you know, bringing an understanding to uh, a lot of the you know frivolous filings that are going on in the system because a lot of the guys don't have they just don't have the help. So like uh, you know, with Gabby uh, brother. You know, I'm working on uh, the fact that he's exhausted, you know, a lot of his uh, appellate rights, and I'm working on getting him back before something in the form of something judicial to, to bring light to that. Because what's happening is a lot of times in the system, all the time that I spent in the system, what I noticed was it's such a, uh, a co- it's not even a culture shock for us to go to prison. People go to prison, they sitting in prison 10 years, they don't even know why they're there mm-hmm. because they never understood their cases. Mm-hmm. So... I did do some legal work only for people that I knew when I was locked up. But to be honest, I didn't do regular time. I wasn't in prison trying to be all good. I mean, I was, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? I was gambling and, and you know, mm-hmm. selling dope the whole time I was locked up. I'm just being honest with myself. Mm-hmm. So when I came home, like you say, what was my plan when I came home? I just like, I was, I was tired. Um, I came home originally in 2011. I got set up in 2012. And um, I ducked a, a RICO indictment because and I got was, set up. And it was after prison. Yeah, it was after prison. Yeah. Came so home. So you clearly went back to it. I've always, I had always been connected to things. I never stopped. The thing is, I never stopped doing what I was doing. Being in prison didn't change nothing mm-hmm. for me. It didn't, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? I was talking on cell phones and eat Kentucky Fried Chicken. Mm-hmm. If you can, it's a, I got thousands of people on my page. You can't find, I invite you to find anybody who's ever been locked up with me and ask them how I did my time. Mm-hmm. So, like, nobody, you've been to prison, ain't nobody bigger or better than anybody else. Like, in order to survive in prison, you got to have good communication skills. So it's really not about being and, tough. And your name yeah. got to be good, yeah. bro, because so, if your name ain't shit, your word ain't shit. Yeah, so a lot of people don't understand the culture of it. I was ready for prison when I went. I had already been locked up as a juvenile, and um, I just was waiting my day. So like everybody said they had their exit plan, I was on my way out, quote, unquote, when I got caught so up. So you didn't have no attentions when you got out of of changing. You just was like... I'm going to get it. I'm getting no, I was, right back I, I was to tired. It. I ain't going to lie because, and like I said, I got out in 11. I got set up and got sent back in 12. And then for the first time in my life, I was just so cocky. I was just like, man, y'all ain't going to, you know what I'm saying? Because I had already ducked so many bullets. I, I wasn't, I knew I wasn't supposed to get out. I tell people all the time, listen, I don't, I don't care what nobody else did. I wasn't supposed to get out. I, I had not showcased the fact that I had earned my freedom. So what I did is I thought about it. I'm like, man, I'm a fourth degree habitual. You know, I already got, you know what I'm saying? At the time that I was released, I already literally got half of my life in prison and prison ain't taught me nothing. So I'm like, you know, what I'm gonna do? So what I did is I gave myself a shot. I came home and my first thought when I came home, I'm like, I'm finna get back to it. And then I sat down, I had a conversation with my wife and um, I'm like, you know, I want to do something different. And uh, I think what saved me, I came home, I was on tether. I had to go to the halfway house, you know, this, that, and the other. So I went into the halfway house and I told my parole officer, I say, like, I'm scared to go home. I say, because I don't know how to do anything else. Everybody think money makes everything better. And it's not. I've always, I had always had money, but I had made my money the wrong way. And it's easy to get back to money the wrong way. Mm-hmm. But what I did is I sat in that halfway house. And I thought about what I wanted to do. 
and okay. I didn't have a plan. And I got up every day and I went and looked for a job. I went and tried to get a $10 job at Buddy's. And they wouldn't hire me. You know why? Because I filled out the application. I filled it out honestly. You know, I've been to school. I did this. I did that. I just wanted to do the right thing. But what I noticed was, like, we didn't have programs. I didn't get all the programming. I didn't get all of that. So I just I had to believe in myself. So I went to try to get a $10 job. Not for the money. I just wanted to feel normal. Mm-hmm. I got out of the halfway house every day. I couldn't have money in my pocket. I couldn't drive a car. I got on the bus every day. First phone call I made when I came home, I went and got me an Obama phone. I called my daughter, mom, say, I'm home. You ain't got to do nothing by yourself. You know what I'm saying? I took care of my business when I was locked up. I'm like, I'm home now. 20% of whatever I get, I'm sending you and my daughter. I called one of my best friends I just talked to on the phone the other day, um, my homegirl, Artrina. We, um, we came up in the same neighborhood. We, you know, we grew up in the same neighborhood. We graduated from high school together. I've known her 35 years. I called those two people when I came home. And then I called um, my other kid's mom and said, I want my son. I'm home now. Mm. And then I had to figure it out from there. Um, I got locked up on the way to my daughter's house um, in 2012 to drop her off for a Christmas gift. You know, I'm Sunni Muslim, so I don't celebrate holidays. So nobody ever sees me on holidays. So I just was going to go over there and drop her off a gift that I had got her. And um, I had an incident. I got set up. I had some police contact. I went to report my police contact. I got locked up. And then I, I tried to fight the, um, the parole violation, and I lost. So I got sent back, and they told me they was going to max me out. So then I, it really woke me up then for the first time in my was life. Was that the turning point for you? Hell yeah, that was a turning point. Because, like, listen, now you know me. I cuss all day. And this is the first time I don't, I don't even say something remotely close to a cuss word. But when I sat in that in that cell on December 26th, I was like, something has to change. When I went back to prison, I was deflated. Oh, I, I got, can imagine. I got bro. more I got more fights. I can imagine. Listen, bro. I got more fights in the two years that I went back on that violation mm-hmm. than I did the prior 15. Anytime somebody even said, even looked at me wrong, it was it was on because now I was like, I felt like I had disappointed you had a chip my daughter. On your shoulders, shit. Yeah, it, it you hurt. Disappointed your family, yourself, bro. That's pouring salt just, in the wound. I bro. was forty two days from getting off parole. Terrible, I had to go bro. back. I yeah. mean, you know, you got to go through them. So, so mm-hmm. after you, um, after you reach that turning point. Um, what is it, the process that you needed to do? What did the terms that you had to come to with yourself and say, I got to stop doing this, stop doing that, stop doing this, start doing this, start doing that, start like, you know what I'm saying? hurt. Okay. When I I came home, um, you know, I had people in my circle. Nobody in my immediate circle had messed over me. And um, I owed some money. When I came home, mm-hmm. and I'm gonna tell you, this was my turning point. I'll say it now, but I owed some money when I came home. Um, I had a friend of mine messed up some work, so I owed the plug for that work because I was responsible because I gave him my word, and I owed him a lot of money. You know what I'm saying? I'm just coming home from prison, but I, I owed him quite a bit of money. And um, I'm like, all right, give me some time. I'll take care of. I was on tether. I really couldn't move the way I wanted, so. After about 60 days, he gave me 90 days to give him the money. After about 60 days, I went and took him some money. And when I took him the money, he told me, he said, man, I'm going to honor the fact that you're trying to do the right thing and you came with, with the money. It ain't, you ain't got all my money, but you came, you know, you tried. 
So what he did is he offered me a package. I turned the package down, and then he gave me the money back. He gave me the money back. So mm-hmm. that was really a turning point for me because now I'm like, maybe this changing thing is, is possible, right? Ain't so, no but what I notice is like people are always focused on the, the foundational material. Like we said, we so focused on our name being good, this, that, and other. I'm like, man. Like, we all doing well. We work together every day, and nobody sees that work. I don't post mm-hmm. that. Like, I post what I want to post on social media, but I don't post when we in a meeting at 9 o'clock and we talking about changing somebody else's life. Mm-hmm. But being able to give back to the community that I'm from, that I took from, meant mm-hmm. a lot to me. Because to be honest, the first thing I should have did when I seen a, a, a little bit of glimpse of life, I should have, a light, I should have been gone. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm straight. So how far was it or how long ago was it that you ended up getting connected to Ceasefire? Um, it, ironically, it's been about five, a little bit over five years now. Um, at the time, it was a young lady named Sheila Young who, who was the assistant to who is now the chief now, you know, Chief White's assistant mm-hmm. at the time. Yeah, um, I met Sheila. I know yeah, Sheila. Yeah, and um, Sheila had been following my page for, for some years. And, you know, like I'm, I'm real risque on my page, but she broke the code of, you know, what I was trying to do. And she reached out to me one day and she's like, you know what, you need to sit down and have, some con- have a conversation with some people. And um, she was like, uh, you ever heard about ceasefire, you know, ceasefires and, you know, DPD? And I'm like, DPD, you do, you do realize I'm a crook, mm-hmm. right? That was exactly <laughs> what I responded to. I'm like, do you know who I am? And you talking about you want me to sit down and have a conversation with, with, with DPD? I'm like... She kept working on me. She put me in a room, you know, with a couple of people. We had some kinds of conversations. The relationship grew. I think I was worried about the stigma of everybody else, but I'm thinking like, ah, I wasn't completely changed at the time. So, you know, I still was thinking yeah, a particular type yeah. of way. And that's what it really is. Yeah. is and then when I found out, in, in all honesty, that, you know, my job had absolutely nothing to do with, with dealing with the police. It was more so like bridging the gap. Yeah, but definitely. um, when I seen that that um the foundation of what they were asking me to do was to reach out to the people who were just like me, that was kind of the turning point, you know. So um, and that's what I love, bro, about the ceasefire team and being a part of that team is everybody been somewhere, bro. Everybody come mm-hmm. from somewhere, you know what I'm saying? That's one of the reasons and, why and, I'm, I'm about showing it. Yeah. yeah, and I mean we do. I mean we catch the flux from everybody, bro. You know you got. You know, a big part of the community that respects us and and acknowledges us. You know what I'm saying? Then you have others who have a different perspective of us. You got police officers who they support us. You know what I'm saying? They appreciate us. You know, they understand what we do. And then you have others that just don't care for us at all. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, you know, if if we expected for validation, you know what I'm saying, from both sides, we would never get anything done. You know, the work that we do every day is solely driven by passion and purpose. You know what I mean? And people don't realize, you know, the discrimination, the biasness, the criticism that we have to endure on a daily basis. But at the end of the day, you know, I know that I live with purpose. I know that I'm in it for all the right reasons. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? And, yeah, we are that bridge. You know what I'm saying? I I enjoy it. I love what I've been exposed to. Um, you know, I love what I've, you've witnessed what I've been able to do for people. So like, to be honest, 
I'm not really worried about, um, you know, people just need to ask the right questions. You know, at the end of the day, people need to ask the right questions. The whole nature of the program is, is, uh, has flipped and changed, you know, over the years. But, you know, people are going to think what they're going to think. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, um, I don't really have time to focus on what somebody thinks because with my history, um, I had to take advantage of, of any and all things that I could do constructive, this constructive Absolutely. and conducive towards, um, you know, me doing the right thing. So, mm-hmm. and as you know, I, I don't have a problem pushing um, the ceasefire brand or whatever it is I'm a part of because these are things that, that promote me doing something positive. Ain't no Whereas, about like, like I said, because the I say, work is real. Yeah, that's why the I say impact I, is real. I like uh, I, real. I wear I wear gang colors before I wear some of the organizations that that I'm tied to because at least I know I'm dealing with real people. I'm not dealing with people. It's, it's not a judgmental thing. So, and um, I'm not I'm not ashamed of it. It's, it's you know it's a part of my history. Um, and a lot of people fail to realize this team was handpicked specifically yeah. people who are you know, influential and have great relationships with people in their community. I mean, for me, it's like, who better than me? You know what yeah. I'm saying? I don't have any beef. I don't have any problems. I got nothing but love, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying, for my community, for my people, and not only mine. Bro, I, I'm in your community. I'm yeah. on the East. I'm on the West. I'm at Pershing. I'm a year. I'm there. Yeah. I'm everywhere, and I love it. I'm able to build that bridge everywhere, and the impact is the same. Yeah. This is the first time in my life I've been able to do something this constructive, and I don't really care about recognition. Like mm-hmm. I'd always, I woke up one day and I said I needed to focus on being a man instead of the man. It's, it's a big difference, mm-hmm. you know. Absolutely. So, so if somebody want to scrutinize me for you know for trying to do whatever it is I need to do to be a man, then you know, so be it. You know, at, at the end of the day, man, I'm, I'm, I'm growing up. Ain't no I'm, doubt. I'm, I'm outgrowing for the first time in my life. I'm seeing that I've outgrown the image. Now no I'm being, I'm getting the respect of people. I literally just got called to, to, you know, to talk inside the House of Representatives. That's dope. Like I to be, it. to be invited into a, um, into a circle like that, and to be able to talk with such reputable people. Mm-hmm. Man, you know how much security you got to get past to walk into mm-hmm. the um, House and of Representatives. And that's what, I, bro. I got so many badges that get me into yeah. so many different buildings and headquarters here and the health department there. And I'm mm-hmm. like, bro, like, and I, I just came from prison. I come from right. the gutter, bro. I come from the slums. You know what I'm saying? And here I am today. Like, I wear them like trophies, bro. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Oh, I'm like, you, you, I, you I got access, baby. Yeah, yeah, hell yeah, no <laughs> doubt, man. But listen, bro. Let them know where they can find you you know what i'm saying they want to look you up they want to tap um, in with you give them the info um well you know i on my social media uh my social media is sincere quran al tale uh my my instagram if i'm not mistaken is uh uh c sincere 1022 um you know if anybody want to find me I'm, I'm really not hard to find i actually have a big social media platform and um i've never been you know the type I've always had enough attention the wrong way. I'm mm-hmm. not really used to, to 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 having the attention like coming from this route. Cause when mm-hmm. I changed, my foundation didn't change with mm-hmm. me. But for some odd reason, my my social media platform. What if broke. somebody just needed some legal advice? Um, I know well, you I have, have your sincere thoughts LLC. Yeah, um, sincere thoughts LLC, sincere principal consultant. Um, I have several different companies that's founded founded on on giving legal advocacy. Um, 
I actually have a company where I have 12 attorneys that work under me, and then I have partnerships with several um, law firms. So anything that anybody needs, I really literally will make the time to make sure that they understand they could come to my office. Um, I'll make sure that I put it in the tagline. Um, but I can actually be looked up on the Sincere Principal Consultant or Sincere Thoughts LLC. Or you there can reach is, me through man. Ceasefire. You know, it's, I, I, man, I, I got a lot I just plugged y'all in, man. Mm-hmm. I just tapped y'all in, man. If y'all need some advice, man, you're going through something, you catch a case or something like that. You need some advice, man. Reach out to the brother. He'll get you together. Big shout out to my brother Zoe at LA Landscaping. Big shout out to Danny Reyna at DNR uh, Construction. And uh, also big shout out to uh, Edward Martel. Hashtag Mr. Not Guilty. This has been an episode of Real Everyday People, part of the El Nino Podcast. Check out the El Nino Podcast live on Facebook every Monday night at 9 p.m. Eastern. And for full episodes, the El Nino Podcast is available on Facebook and YouTube.